The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the PitcherList Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert, layman Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we will talk about September call-ups, the new system for expanding rosters, including the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how to make sense of what makes sense. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? You know, I am not doing too bad, Matt. How about yourself? Uh, I am, uh, well, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little anxious. Uh, we are actually recording this on Saturday, which we never do. We, uh, we record Tuesdays, Wednesdays, every now and then we do a Monday. Uh, but I am in the line of fire of a giant hurricane, which is coming overnight tonight. And uh, we don't want to let the audience down by not having an episode for this week. And so we uh, carved out some space tonight. I spent a lot of the day securing uh, loose furniture, moving a giant mulch pile that I had been lazy about so that I could put my car into the garage so that uh, if a tree falls, the garage will take it and not my tree. I mean, not my car, not my tree. It'll probably be my tree. That's not great. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. The track of the storm keeps changing. Uh, initially, earlier today, it was like doomsday. Um, but uh, where it's going to make landfall... Um, Maybe is a little better for us, and but worse for somebody else. So I'm not I'm not uh, happy about that for them. But anyway, that's where my brain's at. All over the place, scattered, chaotic, a little nervous, a little a uh, little anxious. So uh, and but at least it gives us something to legitimately talk about that fulfills our talk about the weather quota. So that's good. We got that out of the way. And it is uh, crazy to us or crazy to me that that's like always on the agenda we can't avoid that can we <laughs> i don't know it's um, so cliche i i i we gotta lean into it i think just lean into it and it just becomes that silly thing that we do it's unintentional shtick uh that has become intentional shtick and i'm okay with that yeah yeah i mean everyone needs some good shtick uh <laughs> <laughs> well, let's keep up the weather theme uh, because I think it's going to be relevant to the bell ringer question I have for you today. And that's what are your thoughts and your feelings about fall, the season in general? <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a fan of fall. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if I have to rank uh, the seasons, I'm not all that well equipped to do it because they don't exist in Texas. Um, so I didn't <laughs> grow up with seasons, um, but we have ideas of seasons that rotate around week to week. And I'm sure you've seen a, a poorly JPEGed Facebook post at some point about 
something like this for your region, wherever you are, whoever you are. But, you know, there's a there's a week of uh, spring that's really nice in Texas where it's like um, not that humid in the mornings and there's dew on the ground and it's nice and crisp. Wake up, it's around 50. Daytime highs in the upper 70s. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh I never really understood the East Coast version of fall also where like the leaves change color because the leaves don't change color in Texas. (laughs) They uh, they're generally just mesquite tree bristles that um, attack you. And then there's thorns underneath them. So, Hmm. yeah, sounds uh, awful. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, being able to see actual leaves actually changing. Really cool. Big fan of that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I really do love fall. I will say that fall means the end of my summer vacation. Uh, which mm, once again, fair. to to people who don't have that, uh, are probably not in line to to cry uh, or shed a tear for me. But uh, that's the only downside. I actually do love it. I love the the air gets a little crisp. I'm a little further north than you are, so I really kind of get that old New England autumn cliche in the movies kind of thing with the leaves changing and and the weather and, and right up till about Halloween and. Uh, into the beginning of November. It's 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 a really beautiful time of year around here. So I actually really do enjoy it. I like uh, when it doesn't when you can leave the windows open at night instead of having to have the air conditioner on because it's mm. too mm-hmm. humid or uncomfortable. So now I, I I like fall a lot. I I might even rank it number one if I didn't have most of my summer off. I think that by default wins in uh, in the ranking of the seasons. But fall I think is probably maybe the most enjoyable. Uh, for me. So uh, I'm looking forward to it uh, in, in that regard. And one of the things that comes with fall uh, in baseball, which is what we're supposed to be talking about here, um, is uh, the call-ups, the, the rosters expand, right? Uh, so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'll transition right here into the number of the week, because I think this is an important distinction and we should talk about it right off the bat. Um, and, and the number is two, and that's the number of additional roster spots MLB teams will have now. And that's different. Um, and it's certainly different from last year when we had the COVID situation. It's very different from the way it was done pre, uh, pre-COVID. Uh, so the last time it was the old way would have been 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about what that new system is, how it compares to the old system. Uh, before we kind of get into what matters and doesn't matter, let's understand the context of that. So um, I'm going to put on and then immediately take off the tinfoil for my head. So <laughs> just bear with me. Um, so I tend to believe that the way MLB rules set up uh, make the entire system of like how we talk about prospects way more confusing than it has to be. And here's a tinfoil bit as part of a bit to try to make it more confusing for people to understand how messed up a lot of it is. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very vague as to like how people get shoveled around for a lot of people, I tend to think. Uh, and that's not great. Um, the way that the system works as of right now is, you know, you're in the minors, you're in the minors, you're in the minors. And at some point, um, if you're like within shouting distance, essentially, of being on a, a major league baseball field. Um, mm-hmm. You get added to the 40-man roster. Um, right. And when you're on the 40-man roster, those are the people who are protected from the Rule 5 draft, just to kind of call back to something else. You know, right. it's only people who have been, like, not on that for a while that are exposed. So uh, Kiel Badu was never on the 40-man for um, the Minnesota Twins before the uh, Tigers drafted him. Um, if, if you're on that roster, you know, that's the people who are being moved up and down, you know, being optioned. Uh, mm-hmm. and if you're not on that list uh, you're not part of like this discussion but 
the previous rules were that 25 of your 40 man roster people were uh um you know <laughs> roster <active> people <laughs> players is that a word do i want to they are people they are players they're both um they are both. active yes. during the year uh pre-covid right right um, yes. and then there was going to be i think some change as you said and then this is the first year where like all of like the things have been changed and it's been instituted so it used to be uh 25 people and then 40 in september and now it's 26 for most of the year and then 28 in september um that extra full-time roster spot is a big deal uh because that is another person who is drawing an mlb salary which is good right um but the downside is then there are some people who like don't get the opportunity to be on a roster and drawing some extra money in september and also there's some implications about like um clock starting that's not really like the discussion for right now but but yeah generally speaking though the upshot of this for what we have to care about and how that affects things writ large is that there just aren't going to be as many people who debut um right right now that's not going to matter nearly as much for kind of like near-term short-term fantasy um we'll talk about some guys who i think probably would have still come up during september um under the new system but back in the old days if that makes sense uh but you'll definitely see far fewer guys who are like sixth seventh starters who get a shot and like outperform expectations and get a longer look or relievers who have a really hot month and then get some more leverage opportunities and get a career out of that you know those sorts of guys yeah yeah well i mean they they used to have so many spots that that most teams wouldn't even call that many up i there weren't i don't know of any teams that were actually carrying 40 people in their their dugouts in their bullpens right it's an insane number so there was plenty of room to pull up whoever you wanted to take a look at or whoever you thought might benefit from an appearance. And, and it's different now. So that certainly is going to keep some people in in the minors and out of making their debuts or, or uh, I mean, I don't, it, making their debut is a little bit, t- technically it is, but it's, it is a different situation, different time of year, whether their team's in it or not does make a difference. But anyway, I, I digress at that. Um, no, the the idea that... There's you one know, more go thing ahead, I go think ahead. is worth is worth probably bringing up here is like the the levers teams can pull to uh, make some more forty man space. By the way, just kind of like as a, um, you might see some other moves, and I think it's worth kind of contextualizing them here. If you are like DFA'd, uh, this is like a pretty important season for guys being designated for assignment because that'll get them off the forty man roster, which mm-hmm. will mean that you can call someone else up. If you, for example, you have a guy in Double A wasn't on your forty man, but you want to give him a debut. Uh, seeing someone designated for assignment or move to the 60 day IL will cr- uh, clear that uh, 40 man roster spot. So people who are being moved to the six, the 60 day IL um, like Jacob deGrom, um, right. Important for that reason. And, and there probably also is going to be some guys who are like uh, just depth veterans who might get DFA so that you can get death depth, young guys instead. So, so let yeah. me ask you this question. I don't know if you know the answer. So I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot and you don't know when somebody gets called up, uh, does that exercise an option when the, um, when the rosters expand, or is that like so? If they if they call them up and send them back down, they're not optioning them back down. Um, God, I I feel like I once knew this rule in much more detail when I was playing out of the park more, and it led me to actually <laughs> look up the real real rules and make sure they were right. Though they're generally pretty good. Um, 
being called up, as I understand it, doesn't exercise any of your options. It's being sent back, back down. down. And it's, uh, I think it has some sort of thing to do with like number of times a year. I, ca- I should be more up to date on this. because No, that's okay. Right? Listen, I, I put you on the it. spot and we can certainly look into yeah. it and come back with, with real information. We certainly don't want to put out misinformation. I guess my question was, if somebody is called up and then sent back down during a roster expansion, is, is part of the rosters expanding an exception to having to exhaust an option um and if you don't know that's totally fair <laughs> that's fine I, like i said i did I, I put you on the spot and and we'll look into that and we'll come back we'll come back to it on a future episode to make sure we have good information so um let's talk a little bit about what we need to know so we understand the system now we understand that it's different um we are going to see less of those minor leaguers making debuts just by uh the nature of the the rule change but we are probably still going to see the same number of impact call-ups that we would have. So in other words, in the old system, they had a lot of guys, but there were a lot of guys that didn't really make much of a difference, certainly for a fantasy team. Um, And those that do would probably still be called up. You're talking about maybe five league-wide, right? So they're going to fit into that, that one or two spots that that team has. Um, so what do we need to know about September cops? It's kind of our question for today. What do we need to know? What stats do we look at? How do we evaluate this? Should we run to the wire and grab this person because they're going to be the one that helps us win in our playoffs? Uh, how do we know? Do we know, uh, what, what, what do we, uh, how do we take action? I guess yeah, uh, yeah, in, yeah. in the next few weeks here. And I want to like couch my, uh, hour not quite hour my my next half hour long response to that question with um <laughs> a whole lot of shrugging and a whole lot of i care more about next next year for these guys anyway um now i do think that there are going to be actual like this year things that we can care about and we will try to at least yeah. talk about those but uh it's worth recognizing that uh when we look back on some of the past years it is just chaos as to how many of the people who we think should be good are good and how many of the people who we aren't all that sure about who end up having a pretty good show of themselves. So um, because I guess there's two ways yeah, to think yeah. about it, right? There's like the baseball side, which is I'm excited to see this guy. Maybe I think about him for drafts in, in my next year's fantasy league. And then there's the, the, the team right now that's in a playoff hunt and they mm-hmm. want that edge, you know, they're maybe they're squeaking in in fourth place or, um, you know, they, they, uh, their team is, has been good all year. So they're making the playoffs, but they're struggling right now. And they're worried they're going to get bounced in the first round is one of these guys going to make the difference. So I think it's totally fair to say like, yeah, the real, the real answer here is what is the September call of going to tell us about next year and, and the future. But there is that real thing that somebody out there, uh, wants to know, um, about right now and and i obviously it's going to be a lot harder <laughs> to have conclusions about somebody who's just getting their their first shot than being able to look back over the course of what admittedly is going to be a small sample size and, and is a small sample size for all players from this point to the rest of the season is a small sample size and really anything can happen for anybody in such a small sample size uh but uh, I, I, I want to make sure we talk about both those things. So from a baseball point of view or a looking forward to next year point of view, but also like right now in the moment, I need to get one more impact player on my team. And I know that this 
uh, minor leaguers probably getting called up. Do I, do I need to use my waiver claim priority? How how much should I be putting on this guy if I'm in a FOB system and why? Right. Yeah, I, I think um, it's interesting and in, like the things that like normally we care about uh, because they tell us a lot of information really quickly um, are useful here as they are anywhere else. And this kind of presents a nice opportunity to kind of refresh on a few of those things uh, to remember what it is that tells us the most, the fastest and just use it. Uh, so that's that's always nice. Uh, it, it, it's not like it's different. What matters for a guy who has not played major league mm, baseball before yeah. versus uh if we're trying to reevaluate if someone's changed uh um, right yeah now fair point i mean it's it's slightly different but like not all that different and that's kind of like the, the long and short of a lot of this so that's nice um it's also uh definitely definitely really nice that um because i think for a lot of people a lot of the baseball that we're going to be able to watch isn't gonna matter all that much it's kind of a cruel <laughs> way to say it but like um i mean for fantasy like realistically how many people are going to have their playoffs end like i don't know like three weeks uh if you you know we're like six seven weeks out playoffs should be starting essentially for most people at this point who play in well-designed leagues um i don't want anything to do with those last two weeks of baseball um for no any sort it's of tough, weekly league especially the last week but i'll i'll say like i have a couple home leagues and i'm not in the playoffs yet um and and it's this isn't even like the last week so um, this definitely is, and there's a lot of people who just play standard and it does go to the end. So, uh, I, I would even argue that maybe in those, as much as I don't want to be a part of that, because it's so, it's such a crapshoot at the very end. Um, there are a lot of people who do, and these guys that get called up might be a little bit more stability if you can be the one who gets the right one. Yeah. It's also worth kind of just like paying attention to, um which guys might come up and uh wreck havoc for someone else who has a regular job right now yeah. um yep you know that's that's worth talking about so you know if that if those are the stakes um of all of this if if we're paying attention to this because we know that it might change things a little but we're not like convinced we're gonna like i don't know redefine the entire everything about whatever league you're playing in. if we just know that it's going to have some like unpredictable knock-on effects and the most important and fun thing is just kind of like evaluating what happens next year this is a really fun assignment to take on yeah <laughs> yeah so let's get into it what uh let, let's start with like what stats might matter and i and I, I put might in air quotes i know that's a visual cue for people who are listening so i'm sorry about that but uh everything that we're are you uh, uh, yeah, I am. I okay. am a little sorry. It's not probably going to stop me from doing it again, but, um, uh, you do when you're listening and somebody does something visual and then they talk about how it was visual, you do feel a little left out. So for that, I definitely <laughs> am sorry. Um, everything that we're going to talk about here is it might help you. It, it might be the most likely to help you. It's not guaranteed to be the the uh, the panacea here in terms of like you are going to use this to find the right guy and win your league and you're going to send us an email and tell us thank you. It's more like of all of the things that are out there, this is where you're you're most likely to get a maybe answer, right? It's a, those, that's a lot of qualifying, but it's still worth talking about. So let's start with the stats that that might help. Sure. Um, the answer to this is pretty much always, we're looking for the stuff that will most quickly tell us the information 
about the things that determine performance the most. In other words, you want a large sample for things like home runs and strikeouts. Um, and the numbers I'm going to be pointing to, this is mostly for batters, I want to admit, but at least partially will help out with pitching as well. Um, is... Although I will jump in, and I, I'm sorry. I, I think most of this is focused on hitting. If you're if you're expecting a September call-up pitcher to make a huge difference, yeah, that's probably fool's gold no matter what. Because oh, even yeah, yeah. if they're great, it's going to be only a, a couple of starts maybe. And probably not like six inning starts if you're in a quality start league. So I, I, I think it's okay if we focus mostly on hitters because I think that's definitely the most likely place for us to, to squeeze some value. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that if we're talking about pitchers, that's exclusively going to be for the I want to know about what this guy is all about for the future. And even yeah, then, yep. like, good luck. Uh, we're looking for things like, uh, if I can point to two numbers there, uh, chase rate and uh, zone contact rate. Um, I like to focus in on chase rate, not because it's my Twitter handle, but uh, <laughs> be- because I think it's one of the more important stats that we can use to evaluate um, what a player is all about um, yeah. in context, usually. Uh, so the decisions that a player is making um, about when they're chasing and when they're not and kind of like how well they're reading the zone are really important because it is ultimately based on a decision, even if it's, you know, very much impacted by some sort of actual skill. Right. Right. So if you're like committing to swinging a lot versus not committing to swinging a lot, uh, there are a lot of interesting things you can glean from that. Um, you know, wrap your head around the, uh, hypothetical swing at everything sort of guys i think of hans or alberto every time um, <laughs> and then try to compare that to a guy who's uh you know like just got a bad read of the zone hans or alberto is just doing that on purpose because he's making a lot of contact his zone contact numbers are pretty high it will allow him to chase a lot uh it's a choice right yeah um, right he's he's making that um that sacrifice so to speak uh, right, for the benefit right. of what happens when he's swinging a lot, but then yeah, there are people who are not or who are swinging at bad pitches uh, because they are not able to recognize it's a bad pitch, and that's a totally different thing. That's not like a skill and a choice. Right, right, yeah, and, and I think the way that you look at that um, is, is sometimes a little bit complicated, but there are some pretty good tells. You know, if someone's not making a whole lot of contact on pitches in the zone, it means they're probably guessing wrong. Um, yeah. If someone's making a good amount of contact on pitches in the zone and then, you know, they also chase a bit, there's probably some bat to ball skill there and a decision about approach. Um, and you can you can question that. And some people need to tweak those things. But, sure. you know, if you notice that someone is doing a really good job of not chasing outside the zone all that often and isn't also like falling victim to a bunch of call strikes, you know, it mm, seems like yeah. they've got like a pretty good differentiation between like chase rate and then like their their zone swing rate you know if those if one of those is really good and one of those is pretty average that's probably not a terrible thing and and those are the sorts of things this is really important they're going to stabilize even faster than strikeout rate will because it's based on larger samples uh, and that's just yeah. kind of like a like a uh you don't even have to do the math yourself to get how like the laws of the math there work oh well, um, yeah i mean if you think about the average average at bat let's say has four pitches Right. Mm-hmm. And a strikeout can Something only happen like once per at bat. You're talking about four times more data to work with in a shorter amount of time. It makes perfect sense. So I'm going to just clarify the, so you're talking about using chase rate and zone contact in tandem to try and, and um, get a sense of things. Or are you looking at them more independently and, and they're two good things to look at 
and they're good to look at because they stabilize quickly. Uh, something closer to the second, probably. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it's somewhere in between. It's like uh, there are multiple different things you can glean about approach, and also I guess also about skill. You know, I like to look at zone contact as, as opposed to J straight, just as kind of like as a marker of like what someone's good case bat to ball skills are. Um, it allows you to differentiate between someone who's really good at putting the bat on the ball um, and someone who's uh, not and maybe is kind of like changing their approach as a result if they're up. You know, someone like Joey Gallo is swinging really hard and right. uh, the, the that choice isn't going to mean that he's not like choking up as often or less of his contact is coming in those like, I'm just trying to put a weak ball into play sort of situations. That's a choice too, I should say. Um I, we talk I, probably every other week here about Kessid Hira, but his like, <laughs> and, and I feel sorry for the guy, but like at the end of the day, like he made a choice to swing hard a lot of the time at some point yeah. in the upper minders. And then we fell in love with him as a look at this batting average in like high A. Also, here's some dingers once he's changed his approach later on, yeah. but didn't recognize Taking that. Taking the best of both worlds, not realizing that one was sacrificed for the other. And and then you get to the right. big leagues and you can't even do the one thing you were doing well anymore. So um, I, I will say there is, a, a, and you alluded to it when you talked about um, called strikes, there is a way that this could lie to you, right? A chase, if you look only at chase rate, and that would be somebody who's timid in their approach. As right. they've been called up, they're not going to be chasing balls outside the zone, but their zone contact may be really low too because they're not swinging. So uh, looking at even just like a swing percentage, right, to make sure that that you're not being tricked. Um, that not right. that that stat on its own is is super useful, but again, in connection to these things, and and we just we we try and talk about that as well. How can good information still fool you? So I just wanted to to make that point as well. Yeah, there are some things that I like try to do, and like it's not as easy to just grab them off of someone's page, which is, I think is kind of like the, the difference between like what I can do whenever I'm pulling my own numbers and what I want to do when I'm just like on my phone mm-hmm. uh, or like, you know, some variation on that. I'm Googling someone in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> I'm, you know, whatever that version is. Um, I like to point to those numbers and then say like, look, if someone's not swinging, you know, uh, and nice thing is you can see like an MLB average for like a swing rate. So if someone's like not near, MLB average for swing rate for whatever season it is. I know those bounce around. I know they're typically around 50, though. Um, if someone's, like, way low overall, uh, you can see their zone swing rates. If you're, like, not up into the 60s there, that's a problem. Yeah. And you're going to have yep. a lot of called strikes. And I will, at that point, be willing to disbelieve some parts of how good someone's like even zone contact numbers might be because then you're only swinging against the meatballs like you're not even chasing the edge strike pitches right 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 and at that point we're no longer comparing apples to apples and your numbers are less meaningful Um, and you're more susceptible to being figured out quicker i think too Uh, especially with pitchers who have the kind of control that they do at the major league level they're just going to nibble those corners and they're gonna yeah uh, Yeah, get you into into pitchers counts um, all right. What are another set? Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, I think this is a really cool way of talking about this. So I don't, I'm not going to steal your thunder here, but a lot of times when we're looking at people from the minors, we don't have nearly as much data. And, and the big things that people will talk about are things like hit tool, power tool, uh, speed tool, right? And, and it's like on a, a rating out of 80. So, um, you know, anything 50 or above is, you know, that's like, hey, th- let's take a look at this guy. 
Um, but it has a lot more to do with the eye test, and and we've talked uh, to people who are are yeah you know, do this kind of a thing and and look at miners and and prospects and things, um, and and this next set of data is I I, I gather looking at trying to maybe quantify that sort of eye test thing from the miners. So talk about this next set of um, uh, of data that that might be helpful. You you draw an interesting distinction there. Um... The things we just talked about aren't a bad way of kind of measuring some pieces of hit tool. Uh, we previously talked to people like Trevor Huth, who yeah, right. I always want to make sure I say out loud because he's <laughs> the person I probably bugged most in different forums about these things. Uh, but when we're talking about hit tool. There are a lot of choices that go into how well you can hit the ball, knowing when to swing, uh, making choices overall about when you plan to swing before you come into the bat, how hard you want to swing, blah, 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 all that <laughs> stuff, right? That's complicated. You know what isn't complicated is uh, how hard you can hit the ball at your very hard, like best and how yeah. fast you can run at your very fastest. Um, and that's what I think makes a lot of the power speed guys so like fun is yeah. uh, <laughs> it's easy to figure out who they are. Um, and we get some even better data. Now, we already have some pretty good data in the miners and like scouts will have a lot of this stuff. But like we get way, way better data once some people jump to the majors about the numbers here, you'd say is max exit velocity and kind of like the similar sort of stuff for sprint speed. So like however you want to measure like someone's like max sprint speed or like best, you know, like home plate <laughs> to first times or first to second times, because you only have to do that really well, like once. Um, yeah, right. And we it's can a believe max. it. Yeah, right, right, right. If, you can, if you're capable of it, I, I, let me rephrase that. If you're not capable of it, you're never going to do it. Uh, and if you are capable of it, you might not do it all the time, but you know that the skill set at least is there and it's showing up at the major league level, which is important. Now, the downside of this is obviously uh, the max EV on for, uh, for a call-up could come at the second to last game of the season, and that doesn't really help you in the short term. But in terms of the conversation of looking for next year and understanding, it, there's a lot of value there. And maybe you're lucky. Maybe in, in the second at bat, uh, the, the max EV is is a number that that, um, that really is helpful for the short term. Uh, but just again, to draw the distinction between somebody who's looking to maybe make an ad for a fantasy team versus somebody who's really kind of looking for their own eye test and backing that up with numbers and data at the major league level in preparation for next year. Yeah, I, I think that I, the way I want to kind of like pitch that is uh, is really narrow, but like kind of in line with what you're saying there about like the for the future sort of stuff. Um, if you can put up an elite sprint speed or an elite exit velocity, um, barring things like injury uh, that would like rob you of those tools, Right. Those are what you're capable of at the very least. And, you know, someone may not set a really, really scintillating max EV of like 115 or whatever. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily not capable of that. But if someone does, then like that's that's what they're capable of. People like uh, Pete Alonso, I, I remember hearing, uh, you know, talk about uh, a max EV. Yeah, I think really what he said is he like he heard the ball and he's like oh and then because he was at the uh, i think it was at the it's probably like first pitch to arizona before his big year or something like that it's like this this story i'm telling poorly here but you know it's like 
you hear the ball absolutely crushed. The data can back up that observation. And you're like, oh, yeah, that dude can just murder some baseballs. And his right. like 80 grade power that someone had written down that you could kind of like disbelieve if you're going to like fan graphs or wherever to grab those. Suddenly you can no longer disbelieve that. It's been yeah. proven. This You've dude murders it. baseballs yeah. better than almost anyone else. Yeah. And we saw that at the, the home run derby this year for sure. Um, all right. There's there's a yeah right. There's a uh, there's a third component here that I think is really really important. And it really has nothing to do with uh, stats, um, but it has to do with opportunity. Uh, you want to talk about uh, the, kind of this third set of information that's not not like ratios and stuff, but it's very very important. Yeah, I I think it's important to pay attention to like how players are making their debut and cutting a few of those sorts of things like if you're if you're trying to figure out like what a team feels about a player there are a few, a few tells that might be important right now there are going to be some teams that just are really really thin and some people are going to get called up soon and it's possible that they will end up playing pretty much every day uh and that does not necessarily mean that that player is going to be a starter next year because obviously injuries are putting in in those cases. Right. Um, right. One of the ways that might get expressed, though, and that we can kind of like gauge how highly a team feels about a guy is going to be the like lineup spot that they're getting when they're playing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, today, for example, um, here today, this is going to be like almost a week old by the time this yeah, comes out. It's very yeah. funny to me. Sorry, <laughs> very everybody. funny to me, actually. Uh, <laughs> no, don't be. Don't be. Uh, uh, you know, like Houston rested like seemingly half of their team. Uh, because yeah. injuries and just kind of like that's the reality is we're getting to a point where you know uh people are tired they've been playing a lot of baseball sure. recently yeah. um so i'm trying to remember who it was exactly but like they had quite the not interesting lineup today and one of their <laughs> lower in the order guys i have this in front of me i swear um hit like a home run way over the crawfish boxes and it was beautiful and i was really happy uh taylor um Taylor Jones. Um, now, obviously, we're not even into September, so he's not right. like a September call-up, but that's kind of like the model sort of thing. He had a nice home run, but he was not batting high in the order, and it's not like they're like pitching him as a guy who's going to be like a next big thing or anything. And that, that should be an obvious one, right? Um, but you're going to see teams like Pittsburgh, like um, Baltimore, like... <laughs> like Baltimore again let me repeat that hopefully they'll have won a game by the time <laughs> this podcast comes out you know they're gonna be calling people up because they're gonna need someone to play shortstop or they're gonna need someone to play some of those outfield spots and uh, if they're batting seventh that is not necessarily a mark of like trust however and this is where we get to finally talk about some dudes <laughs> yeah um, you know um, if you're batting higher in the order when you're being called up in this uh, slim case because they're just so much like more likely to be players of consequence. That is a good marker of the trust that a player might be getting. Now, the, the last little ca caveat, and oh my God, I, I have so many of these that I could just pull out of the bag, <laughs> is that, um, you know, how competitive some of these playoff races for these good teams might determine some things. Um, yeah. If you're like hypothetical Gavin Lux being called up for the first time again, or uh, a hypothetical Kyle Tucker being called up for the first time again, uh, and september ish as you know some some of them made most of their like initial impressions kind of late in the season uh where you get placed into that order uh will tell us a lot about how a team feels about you uh we definitely saw that reflected when the mariners were calling up uh uh Kelnick earlier this year 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> get called up and batted third immediately. Um, yeah, right. No, it's not that they know something we don't. It's just kind of like an affirmation of how they feel. So I do want to make sure we're paying attention to those sorts of signs about like how often they're batting, maybe on their weak side platoon and, you know, where they're batting in the order and how much trust they're getting. Because, you know, it's possible that some of these teams know more than we do because they might have the stat cast ish data from their time in the minors that we don't have. Right. And I mean, they definitely do. They, they, yeah, the teams right. definitely do have more information than we have access to on the public side. Um, I mean, that's probably true all the way through, right? I mean, at the major league level, but there's so much available on the public side at, at the big league level that, that we can kind of comb through that. The minor leagues is just very, very different, but the teams definitely have a mountain of that information. And I think that's, that's a, a really good point. Somebody gets called up and they're playing every single day. That seems really great. But if they're betting eighth or ninth, it's probably just a, a situational thing and not a, this guy's got tools that are going to surprise you thing. Um, and the teams know that. And so it's, it's like kind of a, a filler. Um, but somebody who is coming in and maybe doesn't have a huge hit tool, but is batting cleanup suddenly. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how those discrepancies would come to be, but it's certainly possible that they're there and that it's based on data we don't have. And that would be really eye opening. I would say a more likely version of that maybe is that someone gets scooted up the order after, you know, like a hot two or three days. There might be them having some belief that is part of that. You know, they might be scooting someone up in the order because their data, because their information tells us that, yes, we can trust this hot, short stretch right. of play, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, anybody anybody who is on a major league roster, whether they're a call-up or not, they're good at playing the game of baseball. <laughs> and so uh, they can yes. they can have hot moment. You know, sometimes these guys get called up. There's not really a, a book on them from other for other teams, or they're hitting seventh, and the pitchers are attacking them, and they're making good contact. Um, if you see a team, then move them up to fifth. Then that's kind of like, well, they have information we don't, and and what they're seeing is supporting that so that the eye test is matching data they already have that we don't have access to. If they're staying put in the seven hole, then the team is probably thinking, wow, that was really awesome and really lucky, but probably is, is just that. So it, it, sometimes the behavior around this is really important too. Yeah. Now I think a lot of this is like, um, you know, all contingent on this like hypothetical pathway for the future that we've like, just like imagined up for like some just like Joe examples. Um, yeah. that, uh, and a lot of this makes more uh, Joe um, example. Nice guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Best man at my sister's wedding, actually. Um, anyways. Um, so um, I think it makes a whole lot more sense if we actually talk about just how weird about a month's worth of games can be for some dudes. Uh, because we've seen how this has played out and it's worth also talking about just kind of the last piece how a tiny cup of coffee can just totally derail our entire opinion of someone as a player we've talked about this so many times about how like someone might have more value in fantasy drafts if they never debuted at all rather than if they had and they kind of were just mediocre and a guy i want to zoom in on there is someone whose name i've already said today and that is kyle tucker uh kyle tucker debuted in 2018 for the first time it feels like he hasn't been around that long but yeah, he well. made his major league debut in 2018 um actually like not even september it was like uh i believe it was like june 
that year. He got like optioned back down and mm-hmm. uh, kind of like bounced back around a little bit. But he had a very not that great uh, 2018. Um, I know this because and I think I've said this a few times before. Um, I have a whole lot of friends who are from Houston and really, really, really love to watch the Astros and have since they were really, <laughs> really, really bad. Um, so uh, being able to kind of go through their relative neuroses about that and with him has always been kind of something that I get asked to do. Yeah. And so before I was even writing about baseball, I think I was like bugging my friends about Kyle Tucker and whether or not he's actually going to be good or not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, his first year, not great. Uh, there are a couple different things about it that I think are really interesting. So um, in 2018, he was 21. Uh, just as a note um yeah he struck up 18 percent of the time which is really impressive and he put up a really good uh hard hit rate especially when you consider the fact that he was striking out less than 28 percent of the time a 45 percent yeah. hard hit rate that is exceptionally good his ex woba was 324 his actual woba was 207 um <laughs> the dude could not have been unluckier uh, yeah. there are a bunch of different things to tell us statistically that like he wasn't just unlucky on the basis of like um things like fielding he was also unlucky on the basis of things like um line drive rate and uh, sweet spot rate which players don't have a whole lot of control over Mm -hmm. so if you go to his 2018 numbers his uh well sweet spot rate pretty obvious one here 21.6 percent uh league average is about 32 you cannot be over or under that by a significant amount without being like really lucky or really good uh, yeah, and you would assume that a 21-year-old in a small sample is probably really unlucky, and he was crushing the ball anyway, uh, just mostly into the ground, and <laughs> would pretty obviously assume that something was a little bit up there. Um, yeah, let's see. What was his line drive rate that year? Find that so we can... Yeah, 19.6%. Again, you can only put that number up if you're really unlucky. And then 2019, he has a, he comes up September 2nd, and... His strikeout rate is not great, 27.8%. Uh, this is the only time it's been significantly over 20% in his career in any sort of sample. But again, he crushes the ball, um, and he ha- puts up a 349 Woba on the back of a 344 X Woba. We knew the dude was great. He put up like 30 home run seasons in the minors before reaching yeah. like the age that people would be still in college, right? Yeah, the right. The dude was <laughs> the fifth pick for a reason. Um. And I think a lot of people's like understanding of him as a prospect kind of shifted around. And you might remember that in uh, 2019, uh, the uh, Astros called up another um, outfield prospect, uh, Jordan Alvarez. Who? You may have heard of him. If you were a very online person, <laughs> you may have recalled refreshing on Reddit or wherever you were thinking about who they were going to call up every single time someone got injured. Um, and ended up that Tucker, uh, you know, had to wait much longer than a lot of people expected. He was like drafted and stashed. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, people's yep. opinions of him really, really took a hit that year. And here, look at them now. But both uh, Tucker and uh, Jordan are like top 50 picks and redraft at this point, like pretty yeah. comfortably. Yeah. They're good at baseball and they always kind of were. Um, but you would have to have taken some really bad um, kind of like out looks that that that's a weird sentence uh for his 2018 <laughs> sample which is like pretty normal in terms of le- length compared to like a september column or like a one month of a rookie year and uh just another month of a rookie year <laughs> the next year well, i mean a, a month of any player is 
really anything can happen. Somebody who's really good at baseball could have an unlucky month or a cold month or a bad month or, you know, they're fighting a little bit of an injury and they're not telling anybody or at least they're not releasing it to the public. So, I mean, when we're taught, we, and we've said this a lot about small sample size, you have to be really, really careful about overreacting to small sample sizes um, and, and outlier performances. It, it's, it's easy to get caught up in it. Um, and, uh, and you know, Hey, this guy burned me. So I, I'm not, I'm, I'm gun shy. Well, I mean, that's, that's a, maybe a mistake because you're going to miss out on, on that production. Anybody who was, had drafted and stashed Kyle Tucker and was like, man, that, uh, that name, I see it. And, and that, that was so frustrating that season. I'm just not drafting him. Well, that, now you're missing out. Right. So uh, I think that that's really important. And then there's the flip side of somebody like, uh, um, and we had talked about this um, off air before we, we got started, but like Randy Rosarina, right. Who caught lightning in a bottle and hasn't been bad this year, but certainly has, hasn't lived up to what he was doing at the, the end of last year and through the playoffs. And um, I think he probably got drafted maybe a little bit higher and people are maybe frustrated by what he's become, uh, which is more in line with what he was kind of expected to be. Uh, so I, I think it's really, really easy to overreact to these small sample sizes and we get really excited. We've been doing a really long baseball season. Uh, you know, fantasy baseball is a long haul. It's a marathon. It's not fantasy football is, is fun. It's different. It's faster. It's over sooner. Um, fantasy baseball is a slog. That's for sure. And the idea of new blood is exciting, but you have to be very, very careful not to overreact to it. I think that last bit is a really good kind of way to collapse down exactly what it is that uh, that kind of like drives a lot of us. Uh, you know, the new cool thing rather than the guy that you have rostered uh, for 120 games already or maybe right. like three or four seasons in the past. Um, those are those are a whole different experience in terms of what makes us energizing. And I, I get why there are a lot of people who kind of like dip their toes into this industry and then just find that like the week in, week out, I need to have another like really incredible thing to say when the game hasn't changed that much can right. be uh, really defeating, actually. So, you know, if you're in our shoes uh, um, anywhere or, or you're, you're like interested in this and you're wondering why the person that you like have been enjoying reading their stuff and you're like, you know, they're not writing as much anymore or they're like taking a step back, it's because, you know, there's just so much time to worry about whether or not your take is good. And I will say it's kind of nice. September call-ups just getting a whole bunch of new dudes to kind of be like, yeah, sure. no, I swear this guy's good. That is, that is a really fun thing. Well, I think in a lot of ways, analysts have, uh, they're a victim of their own, um, uh, quality, right? People are, have gotten mm-hmm. really good at doing this. And so it's, it's hard to be separate. It's hard to be different. It's a saturated industry. There's a lot of people who mm-hmm. are doing this kind of work. And, um, you know, that shouldn't be a reason why anybody doesn't try and, and become the next person to come in. Um, I, I have found it to be a pretty welcoming community overall. And, and so that shouldn't stop yeah. anybody. But uh, at the same time, people have gotten really, really good at figuring out who's good. And, and you know, I, I think a lot of the analytics – when they first were coming out, they were helping people see these market inefficiencies for fantasy in the same way that major league teams are seeing uh, market inefficiencies for putting together actual on-field baseball. And and there was a lot of space and room for that to uh, for people to put out content that was um, helping people think about this in new ways. But they've done such a good job at that and continue to do such a good job at that 
that it's it's harder to differentiate between uh you know this guy and that guy or this guy's take and that guy's take uh, especially player A and player B over a season where where the the differences are very nuanced and uh and so I think your point is well taken and, and there have been a lot of writers that I've seen uh even very publicly saying like look I this is I'm kind of at a burnout level and you know coming on the heels of a covid the covid thing and the lockdown and the stress and all that stuff uh, it makes perfect sense that people are, are needing to take a break. Um, and, and I think your point is well made. But I also think it's because the work is so good. So it's it's a double-edged sword, um, oh, yeah. but yeah, a yeah. lot of quality work out there as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting to, to notice that it's a lot of the people who I feel like tend to do some of the most in-depth work. And that stuff can really, really leave you lingering in that, like... Um, is my work any good state for the longest? Uh, the the excitement of being a writer is very much kind of like a sine wave, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like, I have a new idea and then I've started to do the research and then you get stuck in a ditch for a while um, and feeling bad about like the fact that it hasn't all come together yet. And you've got like one little hurdle. And as you get closer to publication, it swells back up and you feel great when it's published. And then you get another idea and you keep going. Yeah. You I think it's like any art. I mean, I, I, uh, I uh, am a music fan and uh, I've done some of my own, my own music stuff and writing songs. It's very similar. You get excited about an idea. You got a chord progression. You've got a, a melody. You got a harmony. You think you're going to want to put in there. You got a nice hook. You play it over and over and over again uh, on your couch to try and construct this, this thing. And now you've heard it so many times you never want to hear it again. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 yep. I'm sure it's similar with painters and, you know, people who are really uh, all about their craft and their art are constantly trying to be better and are often their own worst critics. And there's not really anything anybody's going to say on Twitter or anywhere else that's going to be more harsh than what they're telling themselves. So keep that in mind, too, while you're while you're posting uh, things uh, on the social medias. Um, yeah. Let's let's uh, there's a couple of other players here. Let's talk a little bit more specifically. You you have them here in, in the show notes. Um and I, I'll let you kind of carve out the context for it, but uh, let's talk about a couple more players as kind of like examples of the point we're trying to make, and then we'll do a, a short pass-fail, and and uh, our 30th episode will be in the books. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that if we're kind of taking a look at the people who we would expect to potentially come up and have an opportunity to uh, at least show who they are, maybe make a difference, Um we're looking at people who have to be like one on a 40 man roster already, or like really likely to be added. I think is kind of like the, the more like case, you know, you really go on a case by case basis, but it's much easier if they're already on the 40 man roster and like sure. in triple a. Um, yeah, of course. Right. Um, from there, I also want to make sure that like they're, you know, like not fully blocked um, in some yep. way or another. There are actually yep. quite a few guys that I feel like I have some thoughts about that. Like I would really like to see them come up and then like, I don't know how it works. Uh, yeah, yeah, because there's already uh, somebody if they play shortstop and uh, in the Padres organization, well, <laughs> uh, barring another separated shoulder, uh, that's going to be tough. right now. This is a great time to be a Padres <laughs> uh, shortstop prospect. Um, well, I mean, there there were not upon... going to be many great times to be a Padres shortstop pro- prospect after like you know this next month, whenever uh, uh, Tatis's shoulder gets uh, surgically put back in place, but. Um, this is a great time if you are healthy. I think uh, Abrams might. I don't think he's. I don't think That's he's not healthy. Yeah. Um, uh, I, yeah. My point being, if, if you've got somebody who's really locked into a spot, um, and I mean, are are they 
this is an aside and we're, I'm going to follow this down a rabbit hole. Are, are they talking about Tatis having surgery in the near term? Oh yeah. You know, he, he, that's been the plan all along is that he has, uh, when the season's over. Yeah. When the season's over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So it means but he's in the outfield right now. That's the thing. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But that's, that's what I was referencing. Okay. Um, either way, the, the point being, let's, let's, take out the the nitty-gritty of that particular situation i guess i brought up a terrible example my my fault um but if you're talking about somebody who is stuck behind a, a big a big time player um there the, the club really doesn't have an incentive to call that person up and that's another piece of this is that it's not if somebody doesn't get called up it's not necessarily that they're not going to be great it could be that the club just doesn't have a real reason to need to do that um and that definitely plays a factor as well. Anyway, uh, back on track to the the players that you were going to reference. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like, like I was saying, need to be on the 40 man, uh, need to have at least some viable uh, pathway to some uh, playing time, I would say. And we also probably need to like have some belief that they are good enough to care about for the future and make an impact this year. Like, obviously, right? Uh, yeah. So, like, a really quick way to, I, I would sort this before you get too far it's just like i'm gonna run through people who are like on like the mlb pipeline 100 and maybe mm-hmm. there's gonna be some other guys who are just outside of it or that have made the name for themselves and these are guys who are gonna have like an eta of this year or next year that aren't already full, fully up that's right. it who else are we gonna yeah. care about yeah and when we go look at those people you realize how slim the list actually is so like cj abrams like i said he's a 2022 like eta for the padres at shortstop mm-hmm. he's sixth on their list I think he's had some injury troubles this year and i would actually very much doubt that he's gonna play they they have depth uh the crone zone has moved over the shortstop <laughs> side uh yeah so i'm not all that worried about him likewise like riley green just moved up to triple a uh spencer torkelson just moved up to triple guy a uh bobby witt actually there's a guy that you might want to yeah. look at if you're looking at the top 10 guys and then adley rutschman just moved up to triple a I, I would i would assume like a lot of these guys like uh you know, they, they're all recently moved up. I would be surprised if any of them saw time because like the let's be honest about it pathway is that they come up after um, the extra year of eligibility passes next year. Like, they're right, like right, that, that's right. probably what's going to happen. Um, but there are some other people who I think make a lot of sense, um, not necessarily within the top 10 or so, um, but, it, you know, like. Joey Bart would make a lot of sense, actually, if it weren't for the fact that the National League still is uh, evil and forces <laughs> pitchers to hit baseballs. Um, Vidal Brujan, though, uh, is, mm-hmm. is like the most obvious and he's like almost certainly in my mind probably going to find like be there we go almost certainly probably what a yeah. great combination of qualifiers <laughs> there. I would be really shocked if he wasn't back on the Rays roster. Um, for one, uh, there's just not going to be any like real obvious chances for him to develop if there aren't games going on. And at some point, right. there's just going to run out of minor league games. Further, like the things that he can do well are going to be valuable, even if it's a very limited role. Uh, you know, if he's a pinch runner on that team, that is better than nothing, and he could yeah. do that well. Uh, but you know, like he's going to get time. They're going to want to rotate people around. He's like the exact obvious template for someone who's going to get called up. Uh, so he's like the easiest name. Um, if in terms of people we would look at, uh, I there are a couple other people who I think kind of fit that same. Well, like T- Taylor Walls, I think he got he, he's on his way back up for them, I'm sure. Um, but you know, like you might fi- might find a couple other guys like 
see, I had a list here and I just feel really dumb. You know, like, <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if uh you know, well, pitching side, like that's a whole other discussion, but you know, like people like Christian Pache, like like yeah. him, who yeah. can do those sort of like be a defensive outfielder if we're again looking at people who aren't currently on rosters again injuries are a whole other thing but like if you have a pathway to a very small scale role that is a more likely than not like reason why you might make it up now it doesn't mean you're gonna be fantasy valuable but it does mean you get more major league plate appearances and that's more interesting god as i as flipping through here i guess like what's stopping nolan jones from coming up for cleveland <laughs> other than the fact that they don't want to like spend money on him a lot of these guys are like yeah. ready. Like, uh, what's stopping Josh Lowe for the Rays? I thought he was going to come up in like July. So I, I guess that he's another guy that like utility outfielder slash center fielder. I don't know, maybe like a another like injury for them in center field, and he could be up as like their fourth slash fifth outfielder. But I'm like, God, I forget that some of these guys like that I was been like waiting on the entire time. Like, where is Drew Waters? Why has he not come up yet? I felt <laughs> like he was supposed to be up a while ago. You can kind of just run through those sort of guys. Add infinitum so yeah i i think that like we'll probably be surprised yeah in some ways by whoever it ends up being uh but, well the, i mean the, the big league clubs aren't calling guys up to make your fantasy life easier so there's a lot yeah, of of things and factors that go into those decisions and uh you know i i think the surprises are good especially from the oh, yeah. again from the top of the two different perspectives i think from the point of view of like hey let's see what this kid can do uh, at the end of this year so that we have a better idea for next year or, um, you know, get get a few at-bats so that we have a better idea about draft capital for next year's fantasy team. Um, mm-hmm. It's the I need a guy right now that's really hard, and hopefully we gave you uh, at least a little bit of a process in terms of uh, what to evaluate, um, how to look at maybe some of those minor league numbers, how they translate to the, the first couple of weeks of, of the call-up, and uh, hopefully you grabbed the right one. Um, you know, I, I think that's really kind of what it boils down to though, right? Like we can try and add a scientific process to all of this, but in the end, uh, you can do your best and you can still make a good decision that just doesn't work out because it's just a very difficult place to be, to try and get the right guy at the right time. And there's also a chance that of all the guys that come up, none of them really are more helpful than the guy you already have. So, um, you know, good luck, question mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the thing I'm excited for is just arguing about whether or not we can buy someone's inevitable, like, eight homer September. And that is yeah, always I think a fun time. The conversations about what kind of a player is this based on, on whatever happens here uh, from now to the end of the season certainly is is the more intriguing and interesting and engaging part of it. Um Again, from that point of view, from the point of view of how how are September Cubs going to help me get the title? I think that's it's a lot more of a, kind of a roll of the dice. But hopefully, there's some things that can point you the right direction. At least, you know, it's like uh, like we we uh, teach kids on multiple choice tests, right? Like, see if you can eliminate two wrong answers so that you're <laughs> at least picking between two right ones. Hopefully, at the very least, we've given you that equivalent. Uh, for these call-ups. All right, I'd like to uh, transition here into our pass-fail segment and uh, and uh, do it in just a couple of minutes and, and wrap up the episode. We'll push our off-the-books to another episode. Um, but we've talked a lot about September call-ups here, and I want your take on whether or not this should even happen. So should we have expanded rosters? Should it be what it used to be? Should it be what it is? What What's your take on this? So I think that we should absolutely have some sort of expanded rosters. Um, 
I get why they don't have it during the regular season in terms of like having like a, as like an infinite number of players that are available to you because it would be a really interesting financial advantage for some clubs that you know would be more like the the kind that we don't like rather than like the yeah, right. competitive floor like I, I I get that um I do like also like the trade off of like having 26 players rather than 25 I get that I like that uh the thing that I would say that I would ideally like is I would like a version of expanded rosters that don't impact uh, decisions for people's playing time being manipulated in some sort of way. That's the one thing that I worry about because then it's like, okay, someone's pretty good and why call him up in September if the like maximizing the window of how much you have him tells you you should call him up after Super 2? Um, right but then it's like okay so we called him up in september instead and that feels like ahead of his schedule instead of behind so that means we're just gonna hold him down more next spring and pretend he wasn't ready like that's the really cynical view that i want to make sure doesn't happen mm. and i think the answer is you got to fix like playing time manipulation or service time manipulation and then also just have like a 40-man roster rule that kind of comes second to that in terms of the things you fix. Now, let me ask uh, an ignorant question. Couldn't they just put in that anybody called up in September, it's just separate from normal season playing time? It just wouldn't that Would that just solve it? You know, I, I don't know if that would solve it, right? Well, no, it wouldn't they, solve the playing time manipulation problem that exists separately. But I guess my question is, if they if they said this is just is a it's like it's it's like a showcase. <laughs> call uh, call them up. Here's the the limits of how many you can have. Uh, but while they're here, that doesn't accrue uh, time. Um, it wouldn't see, make them like, those, push those it until deserve the time though. That's the thing. Like, yeah, I guess we're that's gonna true. Have this, yeah. But, like, the, but like, the team is just recapturing it on the flip side. Right. Which is the real problem you're talking about. Right. Right. So what you want then is you want a, a version of things where they get the time, but there's no incentive for a team not to give it to them. Um, if they're like yeah. vaguely in the area, I th- I think the answer might be that like, um, you can't have a uh you can't have i think like if i could point to one thing that would fix it uh you, you just need like the arbitration process that decision for chris bryant's ruling where they uh the the basically the cubs argument was like no we didn't manipulate his time that would be illegal like uh, the books basically say no you shouldn't you should not manipulate these things and then teams just make up fake excuses why they right. aren't and then right. the people who adjudicate things go along with them and believe them if the actual human element that allows us to interpret these things you know if chris bryant's hearing about whether or not he had his service time illegally manipulated said yes he did um i think that would actually fix about 49 percent of the problem that's probably true that's probably true i just i guess what i what i am getting at is i hate i hate the idea that Having somebody come up in September would mean we have to wait longer for them to to be up in, in the beginning of the following season, which is what teams are naturally going to do. Um, that you know, I, again, I, we come back to this all the time: the business of baseball interfering with the the on field product and what's best for for things. Uh, the, no. the entire process of of service time probably needs to be revamped. Is the solution right? The the, the, the entire system is flawed. 
you know, a, a, a version of these things that I think like I could come up with. And this is a thing that I've toyed with a lot in my head is like, how do we maybe create like a two track system um, for people who are called it from the miners? You know, like you've got the the superstar track, essentially, where um, you're guaranteed a higher salary right out of the gates. The teams are guaranteed more years of control as a result versus like maybe you have like the, the depth track for players where like. You know, it their starting salary when they come into the league is you know something around what it currently is, maybe a little higher. That'd be good, mm-hmm. but like they get to free agency faster. So there's like a trade off for like some people have like six or seven years as team control, but their starting salary is like two or three million guaranteed, versus like the other guys. And that would I think change a lot of the incentives. And then you you put like a certain number of like the the teams have to decide by let's call it thirty days of them being on a roster which means that you could do september call-ups without them having to decide yeah maybe right. that something like that yeah. could fix it uh, that's definitely that an interesting like, solution i i don't know if there are loopholes in there i'm sure some of the major league clubs would find them but i, I it's at least a yeah, creative outside the box way of of doing things and you know maybe uh maybe a player has some say in that maybe the way that it's written in the cba is that it's a mutual agreement decision um and that gives the players a little bit of leverage there as well um, as opposed to just club control, that would that would certainly be a step in the right direction for players mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, I I think that the incentives for for some players would be a little bit muddled. I don't know. Maybe you put a cap on the number of like superstar contracts you can give out every year or, or something like that. Almost uh, like the franchise tag in the NFL. Yeah, well, I think about the way that like I think about this is very much influenced by the way that the first round draft picks in the NBA draft are guaranteed higher starting salaries and more guaranteed years, whereas second round draft picks uh, are only guaranteed like less. But that means they get the free agency. And if you hit on a second round guy in the NBA draft, you get a couple years of big benefits, but that guy actually gets his payday. Like, yeah, he's like he gets a payday. Right. Um, so, um, you know. I think that there are some there's some room for people who are not sure things before they hit the draft to like uh, not end up being kind of like screwed by it and ended up getting a payday because a lot of those same guys didn't get those um, big uh, initial uh, signing bonuses that get held over the heads of yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, players for under people who are making those bad faith arguments for not paying them well. So. Well, leave it to us to turn a question about should rosters expand into a uh, a much bigger issue, but uh, it, it's all kind of tied together, as is almost anything in, in baseball. You flip one dom- domino and they're all going down. Um, yeah. I, I like the idea of rosters expanding. I almost feel oh, like... It's though, so much fun. It's, it is. It really is. And the way that they used to do it, it really gave you a look at a lot of different players, which was kind of neat um, from a baseball fan, not from a fantasy point of view, but from a baseball fan, you get to see a lot of these guys at AAA, especially when I was a kid and I was going to a lot of Paw Sox games. I'd get to see the guys that I was watching all year in Red Sox uniforms. That was super exciting as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I kind of yeah, feel like sense. if they're at the point where they've gone to 26 and then you expand to 28, just like make it 28 for the year. That's actually better for everybody, right? Because now you've got more rostered players collecting salaries. I mean, I, I know the owners don't want that, but um, yeah, I think I, I almost how much money we're quibbling over there too. Like the additional cost there is probably on the order of about a million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> maybe which was a lot to Austin Powers in 1960, whatever. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like there was there was something romantic a little bit about 
you could have 40 guys in a dugout and, and obviously no team was doing that, but you got to see a lot of people and, and they take at bats. And if you're watching games all the time, you're seeing a lot of the, the people who you're going to start seeing called up in, in the future years. Like there, I don't know. I, and maybe it's an old fogey thing in me. I don't know. Uh, but I they think I mean, it was fun and it was exciting. Now that they've shrunk it, I'd like that it's still there. And we're going to see some people called up who maybe ordinarily wouldn't get their chance until next year. But I'd almost rather just see the rosters be twenty-eight. Like just expand the rosters. I mean, I, I again, I yeah. know that's it's not going to fly. Go to but... thirty at that point, right? Make it an even number. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, thirty no, from twenty-five I, is a big difference from just a couple of years ago. I think, I, but the thing that it would help out with, um, like thirty this year or thirty last year would have been so good because then like six-man rotations can be a thing, or. You know, as we're kind of gradually moving towards this thing where pitchers pitch fewer innings, you can have more of those like once through the order guys who are kind of imperfect but really cool. And mm. um, you know, I, I think the thing that we get really annoyed about with like relievers changing around mid inning is kind of one thing, but like the the scheduled, yeah, this guy's gone through once, and we know the next guy's coming up, and we're not just like screwing around with like one lefty like i don't have any problem with that so like that sort of base like almost all of those arguments about baseball changing are like pretty boring and dumb Um uh, and i'm all for anything else that can get another guy who's really good that gets us something closer to like what the giants are doing to be good this year being more normal because like look at how many dudes are playing really well in those somewhat more limited roles driven by better data and good instruction like yeah larger rosters could pave the way for some of that as well well it just seems it seems really silly like rosters expand by two i don't know again historical context comes into play there maybe maybe expanding the rosters by two if they if it was zero would feel like a lot and that's super awesome but going from from like a lot to two i don't know it just it feels um, it feels like why bother? Like just yeah. make it twenty eight, and and especially I don't know if COVID has taught us anything. It's that weird things happen, and people are getting injured much more frequently. You'd be able to to you know have a guy nurse an injury for a few days and fill in without having to do an IL stint. I don't know, it, which would be bad for fantasy, I guess, because you'd have hurt guys not playing and not being able to IL stash them, but. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this uh, in its current iteration. I like the idea of rosters expanding, but I kind of feel like at this point, maybe it should just be an all year thing. And then more guys are getting paid. There's more, more, more players, you know, on major league teams. I don't know. Maybe that's problematic too. Yeah. I, I think it's probably also worth just talking about in both like the, like everyone's incentives about like uh, preventing injuries should be aligned. Teams don't like when they're hurt. Players don't like when they're hurt. Um, players, agents don't like it when they're hurt. Fans <laughs> right. don't like it when they're hurt. <laughs> uh, nobody should be happy about anything that leads to more injuries. Uh, the more that we can give teams uh, preventative steps, like yeah. look right now, like the Dodgers are trying to catch the Giants for their division, and they have like nobody healthy on the pitching side, and somebody's probably going to get strained, and we're probably going to get see more injuries as a result. Yeah, the White Sox are not in a position where they're chasing anybody and they're able to rest people and that's going to give them a competitive advantage later on. I don't sure. know. I mean, like you can see all these different tinkering things that are like smart things where like the DNP rest sort of stuff that's in other sports gets to come in. And I think that like the more that um, we can just keep players from having to hurt themselves, like we guarantee those two extra roster, roster spots for some of these teams are just going to be, they sign a pitcher off the street who can throw them four innings so they can just get to September you know, like 28th. 
Sure. And yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. I I don't think they'll probably do it. So um, I'm very interested to see how this plays out this year uh, being the first year of it and in subsequent years, what kind of an impact it really has and whether it actually takes a lot of the air out of the excitement that used to be there or whether it's just as good because, like I said early on, those guys that are the impact guys are still probably going to be there uh, and making a difference. So any last words that you have here? Not like forever. That would be terrible. Um, but before we uh, we end the episode, um, yeah, I, I guess if I have anything else, um, it's uh, that uh, all to the people who are asking me if uh, Tyler Tucker Tucker was good in 2018. Yeah, he's he's good. <laughs> yeah, he's I good. Solved that one. <laughs> Problem solved. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of our 30th episode. 30 already, Alex. That's amazing. Um, if you could go ahead and just let the people know where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked mat i'm on twitter at chase underscore rate and most importantly you can find our podcast on twitter at dugout study hall where you can send us some questions please be sure to subscribe to the pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already leave us a good review if you can be so kind and if you're not already please consider becoming a pl plus member so that you can harass us on the pl discord and that's it for me All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.